ESPN Radio. Isn't it about being able to add more trophies to the trophy case? It's not just about beating Duke, right? He did the other night was a drop the mic on Duke. Don't come to me if you were Dukey trying to talk about what y'all can do because we stopped that the other night. Shutting down his career, that was awesome. ESPN Radio. As a sports fan, what feels better, winning a championship or preventing your rival from winning one? That's what we want to hear from you on the Candy Call in line, Triple H say ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. And, of course, that question is inspired by the Carolina Tar Heels bouncing the Duke Blue Devils in the Final Four, the semifinal, as a prelude to their run to the national championship game and ending Coach K's career with a hot, fresh L from his tobacco road rivals. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Get at us on Twitter as well, at AmberW790 and at ChrisCanny99. And Amber, we definitely got to dive into tonight's matchup and how the Carolina Tar Heels got here. But first, we got to go out to the Candy call-in line because I want to hear from Rick in Indiana because Rick has got my back. What up, Rick? Hey, Chris. How are you? I, I just became a huge Chris Candy fan today. Um, I don't know how I would have responded to that caller, but uh, the way you handled it was impressive to me and showed your character. And I just want to tell you thanks, and I am forever a fan. Well, Rick, I appreciate you coming, calling in on the call-in line and giving me that shout-out. But since we got you on the hook, I got to know who you got in tonight's game. Well, yeah, I think North Carolina's destined to win it. I mean, uh, and if you don't finish the job, I don't care if you're – Carolina fan or not, it's not enough, you know. Got to win it all. Rick, we appreciate the time, appreciate the call, my friend. And Amber, that's where I'm at with it. It's about championships, right? I mean, for the Carolina Tar Heels, the standard is the standard. We had C.L. Brown, who's the Tar Heels beat writer for the News and Observer, the paper uh, that covers uh, the local paper in the Research Triangle area, Raleigh-Durham, and he said the standard is the standard for the Carolina Tar Heels, so... I get it in Hubert Davis's first year, being able to take care of business against the Duke Blue Devils in Coach K's final home game and then bouncing them again in the NCAA tournament in the final four. That's got to be a good feeling because that is a rivalry and there's a lot of hate between the two programs. But ultimately, this is about cutting down the nets, right? I like how our Canty Colin line has just become a thoughts on Chris Canty first. Hey, then, hey, hey why not? UNC why not? Kansas second. Uh, yeah, I I. I think that in any other season, it's about championships. And I think once we get past this first season under Hubert Davis, it is for Davis about championships moving forward. And that will absolutely define his coaching tenure at UNC. His career can't stop here. In other words, if they never make it again in terms of to a national championship game, then it will not be a very successful tenure for Hubert Davis because of where the expectation is for UNC. He has set the bar very high in his first year as a head coach. That being said, this season, it doesn't matter if they lose this game tonight. It just doesn't. UNC fans, if they lose this game tonight, and I'm not saying UNC fans don't want to win. Obviously, you want to win a national title, fine. But if they lose this game tonight, they'll be like, eh, 
all right, you know, they'll be a little bummed for, you know, a few hours, but then they'll wake up tomorrow morning and they'll remember we beat Duke in the final four. We ended coach K's career. Nobody can ever take that from us. And I would imagine also, no matter what happens tonight, if you're a UNC fan, you could probably get blown out, frankly, by Kansas tonight. And if you're a UNC fan, you'd feel really darn good about your chances of being right back here next year and the year after and the year after, because they never expected to be here. This is the lowest C trying to win a national title since I think what, 1985? when Villanova did it as this low of a seed. You're talking about a team that was not even ranked in the top 15 coming into this season. There were not expectations around this UNC team because it was Davis's first year, because of what happened to them last year under Roy Williams, because this was a totally new era or it was supposed to be in Tar Heels basketball. There was supposed to be some sort of learning curve to that, and it appears that there was no learning curve. So they have accomplished everything that they've needed to accomplish and then some. Tonight would be the chair on top but it's not necessary yeah and amber i think that it's not just unc fans but also former unc players that actually agree with you here's vanderbilt head coach and unc all-american jerry stackhouse on if beating duke is bigger than winning it all take a listen my son went to unc he's 25 and i i saw on his instagram post he doesn't even care about the game tonight only thing he cared about was beating duke because, again, he's still there. And for those people that's in that area, it's more about the bragging rights. You have to be good to go up two on them, but we're already up one on them. So, you know, we, we feel safety. They still got to get another one just to tie us. Ooh, so I think boy, talk we, that. we, we, we talk definitely want to get the separation. We, we want to get the separation. But, man, to, to, to take care of business at Cameron, to come to the Final Four on the biggest stage and, you know, send K off the way that he did to beat Duke, for a lot of folks, that's already the national champion. It's just going to be a cherry on the top to, to, to get Kansas tonight. And, Amber, to me, I, I guess I the way I look at it, because these two programs have had so much success, 11 championships between the two of them, it has to be about winning championships. And I think that's why the rivalry was so fierce and so intense because they're so close in proximity. Um, they're close in terms of foundational principles and how they built up these programs. Uh, it just seems like, you know, beating the other was on the way to something greater. It wasn't just about taking care of business. But I also will acknowledge your point that this is a little bit of a different season. There's a caveat here because it is Coach K's final season. Let's go to Kendall in North Carolina. Kendall, you're on ESPN Radio with Chris Candy and Amber Wilson. What up? Yeah, so Amber – you are a little incorrect in the fact that you think a national championship would be a cherry on top. Chris Candy got it correct that a national championship is the only thing that matters. That's the only thing that matters. Beating Coach K is the cherry on top on his final season. Love Coach K, but hate Coach K. Hope he never, ever comes back. Hope he never wins another game. Glad he got his first loss, his last loss, and his last loss at home to Carolina. But Kendall, be honest, if you lose tonight, because I assume that you're a UNC fan, then if you lose tonight, are you going to wake up just, uh, you know, downtrodden tomorrow morning, horribly disappointed? Or are you going to be like, hey, that was a that was a heck of a first season under Hubert Davis. The future is bright. We're doing just fine. And we got to end Coach K's career. Fair enough. It would be a good first season, but it's not good enough. Ultimately, it's how many championships you have. Everybody will look back and say, yeah, that happened, but they won't see the banner in the ceiling, just like the players were saying last night. That's all that matters. We don't get a banner for beating Duke. We get a banner for getting a championship.
Well, Kendall, we appreciate the call. Let's go out to Brandon in North Carolina. Brandon, you're on ESPN Radio. What up? What's going on? Let's go UNC. There we go. There he goes. Another Tar Heel yes, fan. Yeah, it, 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 it does not matter. We have zero pressure. They're going to go out and enjoy playing in the national championship game. It's going to be more fun being out there. We already had the, the hard parts over. You know, the hard part was all the buildup to the UNC Duke meeting in the Final Four, the whole NCAA first meeting, all kinds of historical stuff. Again, you know, like, like they were saying, Coach K's first loss and his, his final loss to UNC. I mean, perfect storybook. I'm sure there'll be a movie documentary, 30-30 on it, coming soon. But Kansas has all the pressure. They're the number one seed. They're the ones that everybody thought was going to be here anyways. Nobody thought UNC was going to get this far, especially not under Coach Davis's first year. I'm super excited to see what – the next, uh, next, you know, 10, 20, 30 years is. Brandon, my guy. He He's absolutely right because also where the seating is, Chris, the expectation, mm-hmm. he mentioned that they're at the end where he said nobody expected us to be here right now. And that's also part of this, I think, because you're talking about an eight seed taking on the one seed. If they lose tonight to Kansas, it's not like it's embarrassing in any way for UNC. Everyone's going to still think UNC had a remarkably successful season and be thrilled about the fact that they were even in the national championship game. Kansas is the more talented team. Kansas is the deeper team. Kansas is the team, Frank with all the pressure tonight they're the one seed oh no doubt about it amber and kansas is the team that both you and i picked to win the national championship when we filled out our brackets mm-hmm. so as far as expectations are concerned you're right it, it, it's different for carolina coming into tonight's game versus what we saw from kansas but kansas hasn't been affected by the pressure all tournament long either amber whether you're talking about their win over Providence or their win over Creighton or when they were down at halftime to Miami, none of it seemed to matter. Did you see what they did to Miami in the second half of that game? They boat raced Miami. I want to say the score was 45-17 to in second-half points in an Elite Eight matchup. That's how good Kansas is. Did you see what they did to Villanova on Saturday? It was 38-19 to before you could blink. Kansas is an immensely talented team. If you're just stacking these two teams up from a talent perspective, Kansas overwhelmingly has more talent than UNC. But I could have made that same argument about Duke going up against UNC, and it didn't seem to matter on Saturday night. That's what makes this game so intriguing tonight because on paper, it seems like this would be a runaway from Kansas. But based on what we've seen from the Tar Heels throughout the NCAA tournament and really – toward the end of the regular season and into the ACC tournament, this team is playing at another level. There's a reason why they've won 11 of their 12 last games. So we'll have more on that. Larry in Illinois, Mike in Connecticut. We see you guys on the candy calling line. We're going to get to you on the other side of the break. And coming up next, should DK Metcalf want to stay in Seattle after the Russell Wilson trade? Amber Wilson and I will chime in. You're listening to ESPN Radio. More after this. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. As a sports fan, what feels better, winning a championship or preventing your rival from winning one? 
That's what we want to hear from you guys on the candy call in line. Triple eight say ESPN. That's eight 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 seven two nine three seven seven six. Let's go out to Mike in Connecticut. Mike, you're on ESPN Radio. What up? What's going on, guys? How you doing? Great show. Uh, love the drive time through the Fairfield County traffic. I listen to you all the time. Amber, what you add to the show is tremendous. Your sports knowledge, your legal background, I love listening to you. But I do have to argue with you on your point here today. I'll take you guys back to football three four months ago. Alabama went into the SEC championship game. Not too many people, myself included, gave us a chance. And you know what happened. We really took it to Georgia. Stuck it to them, hung 41 points on them. But four weeks later, we lost to them in the national championship game. And the big picture you said about, you know, Hubert will have a chance to get back. There's no guarantees. These, these national championships are so hard to win. When you get a shot at one, you got to get it. It's great for recruiting. You know, Nick wants to hang those uh, those natty banners when the kids come in for recruiting and whatnot. I guarantee you Coach Smart would, uh, would is, is thrilled with the outcome. You know, losing that game actually inspired them, but they're coming back and winning the natty, and that's, that's really counts because they are so hard to win in both sports. Uh, there's no guarantee getting back to the great coach will do a great job recruiting, but you guys know how difficult it is in little, you know, you know little plays here and there and a shot that nicks off the rim instead of going in can cost you that, and you know that's uh, – so there's no guarantees. Just my put on it. I appreciate him buttering me up before he uh, disagreed with my point. I he did set that. you up pretty nicely, I, though, didn't he? That was, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was that was that was a good move. Uh, I, you know, it's funny though when you think about it in terms of football. I think the better analogy, because it sounds like he was a Bama fan, and mm-hmm. yeah, w- winning the SEC doesn't matter as compared to then losing uh, the national title to Georgia. Yep. So I understand his point. I think the better comparison though would be an SEC school like Georgia getting to end Nick Saban career because of the dominance of Nick Saban over all those years and how much you hate Nick Saban or it would be Auburn doing that uh, in terms of a direct rivalry right an in-state rivalry because that's important here we're talking about two schools that are eight miles apart so it can't just be somebody in your conference or somebody who's you know a kind of a outside rivalry somebody you often see or somebody you're up against or somebody you match up with in the tournament and and you're normally top seeds that's not the case here we're talking about two schools that are direct interstate rivals eight miles apart could not dislike each other more and this was their first time meeting on the biggest stage in the NCAA tournament and on top of that a legendary coach a dominating coach over the last 42 years it being the end of the entire reign the end of an entire era so it's just hard to compare it to anything that I could kind of think of with football with college football but I think it would probably be ending Nick Saban's tenure if you were Auburn that would be the closest I could get yeah I mean I guess if you wanted to bring it back to college football it could be Michigan Ohio State I think that's what we'd be talking about like states that are neighbors and just having that kind of competition between the two programs and having legendary coaches as a part of it you think about Michigan they had Bo Schembechler and Lloyd Carr and and now Jim Harbaugh, you think about Ohio State, Jim Tressel and Urban Meyer, and now Ryan Day. Like, you, you have iconic coaches at programs that routinely compete for national titles and being able to knock one another off. Like, that's what you would be talking about with Duke UNC. You think about the coaches that have been a part of this rivalry, the coaches that Coach K has had to coach against, and Dean Smith and, and Guthridge and and – and Roy Williams, like those are iconic coaches when it comes to the pantheon of Carolina basketball. And so 
Um, yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, I think it's hard to kind of compare it to anything else because it's so unique, not just in terms of its geography, but in terms of the success that both of these programs have enjoyed in the modern college basketball era. So I'm with you on that one. The Let's tenure go out of to Coach Le- K's career, too. You know, the ten like yeah. oh, over 40 years. Yeah. I mean, that's also hard Almost 50 to years, yeah. Right, almost exactly. 50. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Let's go out to Larry in Illinois. Larry, you're on ESPN Radio. What up? Oh, thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, I've been listening to you guys all day. I, I listen every day, but I know you're talking about college basketball. Uh, real quick, I live in a small town in southern Illinois, about 15 minutes or so from Carbondale, home of the Salukis, uh, about two hours from St. Louis. And where I live, this is St. Louis Cardinals baseball territory. I'm a Cub fan. I love my Cubs, even though they got rid of everybody last year. But for me, a successful season would be if we could knock the Cardinals out of the playoffs. I have such an awful distaste, a hate in my heart for the Cardinals that anytime the Cubs can completely knock them out of the playoffs, I, am, I consider it a successful year. <laughs> I hear you on that one. That, that's, that's another one of those pro sports rivalries. That's, that's a little tough to beat, Amber. I mean, you, you can name the rivals whether it comes to division rivals or in-state rivals or, you know, it, it doesn't matter how you want to you frame it. It's hard to come close to this Carolina-Duke rivalry. I, I just don't know that there are any – there are many rivalries that, that would rival what we see from these two programs that are, what, 11 miles apart? Right. I just I, I just Less don't know that. that you I just don't know that there are a lot of those out of there. Like well, so in pro talking... football, like in pro football, you had the Raven Steelers rivalry, which I think is the best in all of pro football. But even that, I don't think comes close to what we've seen from Duke UNC throughout the years. I don't think you can compare anything in professional sports, frankly, to college sports when you come when it comes to rivalries because you're talking about student bodies. And with UNC and Duke, you're talking about student bodies coming from the same area. You're talking about kids growing up together and yep. going to these schools because they're so close together. You're talking about recruiting the same athletes, but it goes f- so far beyond that because you're quite literally talking about recruiting the same students. And there's so many split households that come out of this rivalry. So there's just so much emotion attached to the rivalry but it would kind of be like if we were comparing it to college football to your point earlier when you mentioned Michigan Ohio State does Michigan consider this past season a successful season because they beat Ohio State I'm I sure would, Jim Harbaugh I would does. imagine the answer sure to that Jim is yes Harbaugh does. yes so they didn't need a national <laughs> title for it to be a successful season exactly I, I don't know Amber the more you talk the more I feel like I'm moving to your position <laughs> maybe, maybe this is a win even if Carolina doesn't win tonight against Kansas in the natty but coming up next After swapping draft picks with the Eagles, are the Saints moving up to take a quarterback? We'll have one of our ESPN analysts weigh in on that question. You're listening to Amber Wilson and Chris Canny, ESPN Radio. Love ESPN Radio, but not all the ad breaks? Then we've got news for you. ESPN Radio is now available commercial-free on TuneIn Premium. That's right. You can listen to all your favorite ESPN Radio shows and much more without the ads. Just download the TuneIn app to get started. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Canny on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Drivers who switch and save with Progressive save over $700 on average. 
Amber, right now we got to go out to the candy call-in line and bring on ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes, who's also the host of the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny Podcast. And Mina, we're going to get to the goings-on around the National Football League in a second, but in light of tonight's national championship and UNC bouncing Duke in the Final Four, it inspired us to ask the question to our listeners, which would you rather have as a sports fan, your team winning a championship or keeping your rival from winning one. And so a lot of mixed opinions on this one coming from Tar Heels fans. And I wanted to ask you, because you're a pretty passionate sports fan, which would you rather yeah. have, your team winning a chip or keeping your rival from getting one? So, you know, I actually have some experience with this because uh, the Seahawks and their Super Bowl run, which is a team I root for, as you remember, beat the 49ers in what I believe is one of the greatest playoff games in NFL history, the NFC Championship with the, the famous tip with Richard Sherman. Uh, and in many ways, the Super Bowl felt kind of anticlimactic after that. And you remember they absolutely destroyed Denver after that oh, game. Oh, beat down. You know, I, I, I rewatched the Niners game all the time. Uh, and I think that applies here. I mean, I, it would be great for, obviously, UNC fans if they came out with the W. But I, I, I got to think beating Duke – let me rephrase that. I got to think beating Coach K – just meant more. And it's not just, you know, a typical, like, rivalry situation. We're talking about this dude's last game. I, so I, I have friends who are uh, root for UNC or went to UNC, and they all seem pretty content with what they've accomplished so far. I'm with you, Mina. National championship is nice and all, but ending Coach K's career, that is the ultimate championship. Moving on to the NFL, the Eagles and the Saints, they're trying to win a championship too, I suppose. They decided to swap a bunch of picks in order to try to get there. The Saints now have a 16-19 and 19 in the first round. The Eagles have a 15th and 18th in the first round. The Saints moving up a couple spots, getting another pick here in the first. Is this uh, a move by the Saints to try to draft a quarterback? What do you make of this? Well, I'm still kind of puzzling this one out because when it first broke at the top of our show today, it seems so specific in, in so far as they were jumping the Chargers, right, to, to move – where they did. And so, you know, I thought, well, the Saints needs line up with the Chargers, offensive tackle. Um, the Saints would be left tackle, the Chargers right tackle, wide receiver. But something about the time, how far ahead of this is, ahead of the draft, makes me think it won't be their last move. Um, this could be them gathering ammunition to make another big move. And in that case, you could see them going quarterback. Talking with NFL analyst Mina Kimes on ESPN Radio, Amber Wilson and Chris Candy. And Mina, DK Metcalf, I, I know you're a Seattle Seahawks fan, so we have to ask you about him. There are reports out there that the Seahawks would be willing to part ways with him for, quote-unquote, the right price. Your thoughts on whether or not DK should want to stay in Seattle in the post-Russell Wilson era of Seahawks football? Well, DK himself said that per sources, a.k.a. DK Metcalf, I'm not being traded, but um, you never know these days. It's lion season. I mean, that, and by the way, that could be from his point of view, doesn't you know, know what that means for Seattle. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, for the players, and you know this, it's all about balancing the desire to produce, to play for a good team, to be in a good situation, to get targets with the fact that this is going to be the biggest contract of his NFL career. So it really depends to me more so on than situation on what Seattle is willing to give him. Assuming Mina that Seattle is actually willing to trade away DK DK and this is a total rebuild 
for the Seahawks. Are you surprised that Pete Carroll would still be at the helm for this rebuild that he would have wanted to be at 70 years old? Yeah, that would surprise me a lot. If Because I, I, I think with the Seahawks, when they traded Russell Wilson, some people thought, well, they're rebuilding. I'm not sure they think of it that way. It's just based on um, Pete Carroll's age, the things he said, and also um, the uh, moves they've made thus far in free agency don't really look like the moves of a rebuilding team, you know, outside of Russell Wilson. So I have to wait and see what else they do at quarterback um, you know, if they're really willing to roll into this season with Drew Locke, that could be a like, hey, let's get wait, wait one year, then try to win next year. But you know, while the wide receiver market has absolutely exploded, I think trading DK Metcalf would weirdly, weirdly incite more outrage than trading Russell Wilson because DK Metcalf has never expressed interest in leaving. From one wide receiver that could be traded to one wide receiver that was traded, Mina, we saw the rare in-division trade over the weekend with Devontae Parker moving from the Miami Dolphins to the New England Patriots to Pat sending back a third-round pick. What did you make of the move, and how do you like it for both sides? Um, You know, for Miami, I think it just made sense, obviously, because of how stacked they've gotten at wide receiver. Um, You know, don't love trading with a division rival, but I guess they felt that was – the most value they could get out of anyone, the future third, and it makes sense. So, you know, I don't hate it, especially just given what they've added in terms of talent there. Uh, and for New England, I love it. Um, you know, I understand Devontae Parker has been injured a lot uh, over the last, well, well, really throughout his career, but more, most more recently. Um, but this is a pretty low-risk signing. He's only making six or seven million dollars a year over the next two years, which is nothing for a wide receiver. Uh, he fills a need that's really been glaring in New England for a while in terms of having a you know perimeter threat, a true X receiver who can go up and get you buckets and also separate downfield. Um, and what I also like is this gives him flexibility going to the draft because, you know, I think there was this belief, okay, pick 20, you've got to take a wide receiver. Now they might take a wide receiver, but they don't have to reach for the wrong, the wrong one, and they can also take a cornerback there, which I think is just as glaring of a need. The Patriots appear to have been bargain shopping this offseason. I would imagine in part because they spent a whole lot of money last offseason. You obviously like this Parker move. How would you rate their offseason so far generally? Uh, you know, I like the Parker move, but I think there are still some questions, especially, you know, I alluded to the secondary. I was – I guess in some ways, not surprised that they let J.C. Jackson walk. But then when I saw his contract, I was a little surprised they didn't try to keep him. Obviously, it's kind of the New England style under Belichick is to trade players a little bit early rather than a little bit late. But there's still now a lot of holes on the defense. They need to get younger, faster, linebacker, uh, edge rush. And so while I think they're still going to be a good team, I do think there are some concerns uh, throughout the depth chart. Mina, we appreciate a few moments of your time. Thanks for jumping on with us. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. All right. That's ESPN NFL analyst Mina Kimes, also the host of the Mina Kimes Show featuring Lenny Podcast. Download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Coming up next, what's the best landing spot for DK Metcalf if he were available? Amber Wilson and I will chime in on that. You're listening to ESPN Radio back after this. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Kenny on ESPN Radio. And Amber, opening day in Major League Baseball is fast approaching. And you know I'm a Yankees fan, so April 7th can't get here soon enough. 
But April 7th also represents the drop-dead date that Aaron Judge and his representation have laid out there for Brian Cashman and the New York Yankees as to getting a contract extension done. And Aaron Judge, in his own words, said that he will not negotiate throughout the course of the season, and this being his last year under contract with the pinstripe. So the reports are, according to John Heyman and others, that the contract average annual value is going to be in the $30 million a year range. But the biggest question comes down to years. With Aaron Judge in 2023 being in his age 31 season, the Yankees would like to keep that number to six or seven years at $30 million per as opposed to what we usually see from big contracts, eight, nine, even 10 years for some of the premium position players. So my question to you is, how important is it for the Yankees to be able to get a deal done with Aaron Judge, a guy that is one of the faces of Major League Baseball? Really important. I I don't know how important it is, though, for them to get it done by his self-imposed deadline because it's his deadline that he's saying, well, I'm not going to negotiate during the regular season. I'm cutting off negotiations and of course they only have a a couple more days to then get this deal done but it feels like a negotiating tactic and then of course they'd go to arbitration if they don't get one we've seen guys do this in the past now I don't know that doesn't mean that Aaron Judge isn't telling the truth but we have seen this negotiation tactic used where there's a self-imposed deadline and then all of a sudden a couple days before arbitration they end up actually working something out in terms of an extension you had Carlos Beltran say on the Yes Network that Judge had worked out an extension with the Yankees and then he walked back that Uh, so that was a whole strange thing where he said I'm hoping that they can work out an extension so a lot of people jumped to a conclusion there for a moment that the team and judge had in fact worked out an extension Uh, I know that Brian Cashman had said that the team would work on an extension with Aaron Judge and that they would do so during his timeline but so far seemingly that's not really actually the case or at least the Yankees are not folding in terms of Aaron Judge's timeline not yet no it doesn't seem like they are but at the same time we did see this last year with another New York baseball team the New York Mets with Francisco Lindor a guy that they traded for in the offseason and they ended up getting a deal done in the 11th hour before the start of the Major League Baseball season and it seems like the Yankees and Aaron Judge are headed down a similar path. I think ultimately the team acquiesce to Aaron Judge's demands because Aaron Judge is one of the true leaders on this team and they do have title aspirations. ESPN Radio. Amber Wilson and Chris Candy on ESPN Radio and ESPN Plus. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Hit us up on Twitter at AmberW790, at Chris Candy 99 And, of course, tap in on the Candy call-in line, 888-SAY-ESPN. That's 888-729-3776. As a sports fan, what feels better, winning a championship or keeping your rival from winning one? Of course, this inspired by what we saw from the Carolina Tar Heels this weekend, bouncing Coach K in his final game in the Final Four on their way to competing for a national championship tonight against the Kansas Jayhawks. But right now we're going to switch gears and go back to the National Football League. And Amber, one of the big names that's going to be floated out there up until the draft, as far as veteran players are concerned, is DK Metcalf. With the Seattle Seahawks selling off some parts, selling off and trading Russell Wilson to the Denver Broncos, a lot of people have questioned whether or not the Seahawks are going to pony up the kind of money that it would take to lock up DK Metcalf on a long-term contract extension, especially with so much uncertainty at the quarterback position. So 
His name has been rumored as one of those that's going to be out there to be had at, quote-unquote, the right place, even though DK Metcalf himself has come out and said he's not being traded. Is this a move that the Seattle Seahawks should consider if they find somebody to do the dance with? Should they try to move DK Metcalf? Should they be proactive about it? If they're rebuilding. But I I don't know what to make of what Seattle is doing right now because I was one – who thought when they traded away Russell Wilson, and I thought they got a haul in return for him. I thought that they were, in fact, going into rebuild mode. But then I was surprised that Pete Carroll, frankly, would want to be at the helm for that at 70 years old. And so then I started thinking, well, maybe they're not. But then they did some other questionable things as well, including letting a marquee player in their franchise learn that he was no longer part of their franchise on Twitter. And so I have... And then sign up to play for a division rival. Right, and then... (laughs) Exactly, exactly. Letting that man go to the Rams. So I've been confused about what the Seahawks are actually doing here. If you, in fact, you are rebuilding, then yes, you go ahead and get what you can for DK Metcalf. And as incredible as a player he is, what's the point of having him on your roster if you need some time in a few years here to build and it wouldn't make sense to have to ultimately pay him either. But I just don't know what their philosophy is. If they're not trying to rebuild, then yeah, of course you don't move on from DK Metcalf. But this wide receiver market is getting more and more expensive by the day and they're going to owe him a lot of money in order to retain him at some point. And so in order to get what you can out of him, you would need to trade him now. You can't wait a year. Well, Amber, here's the thing that I'm confused about. If you don't have a quarterback in today's NFL, aren't you by default in rebuild mode? I, I mean, you, you had seven. You had seven wins last year, and Russell Wilson only missed three games. So I, I don't know that your team is going to be in better shape now that you've moved on from Russell Wilson. I can't imagine that this is a team that's going to be competitive in a division that has the reigning defending champs in it in a division that had another wild card team from a year ago in it, in a division that had a team that played in the NFC championship game as well. I just, I don't understand how the Seattle Seahawks are going to be poised to do any high level winning this year when they don't have their quarterback situation figured out. I just don't see it in the cards. Now maybe they're aggressive at the top of the draft, but that will be putting a lot of pressure on a rookie quarterback to step in and drive this team to the playoffs in that division. So I just don't know how the Seahawks can view it as being in anything other than rebuild mode. It just doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Now, I will say this about Pete Carroll. He's one of the oldest coaches in the National Football League. I can understand why he doesn't want to leave Seattle. He's been there so long. He's transitioned. He's been in a lot of other teams. He's been in the college ranks. I get not wanting to leave and start over at a brand-new place. I actually understand that. What I don't understand is why John Snyder, their GM, can't look at this with fresh eyes and understand this is the cards that I've been dealt. My team is not going to be competitive and do high-level winning in 2022. It just ain't going to happen. Well, Mina, when she was on with us earlier, she did say maybe it's just a one year. You know, maybe it's a kind of a one year. We'll take this year while we have Drew Locke at the helm. We'll draft a quarterback or figure something out, and we're not going to be particularly good, uh, whether it's with a rookie or whether it's with Drew Locke for a season. So not rebuild, retool for one year? Reload, essentially, instead of a rebuild. Uh, Semantics to me. If you're not competing for a championship in that year, you're rebuilding. That's how I look at it. But maybe that's just me. 
I'm not surprised Pete Carroll wouldn't want to go somewhere else to your point because he's been there so long and he's done everything there. But I was just surprised that he'd want to be part of a rebuild period and as opposed to say retiring. And so if you didn't want to retire yet and you're Pete Carroll and you'd had those conversations with your front office, I would have expected maybe it'd be more likely than that they were trying to reload, that they were trying to still compete in that division. But it has been confusing the way that they have conducted themselves this offseason with some of these moves. I think all of this comes down to DK. Like we will have the answer of what the Seahawks are doing, knowing what they have done here with DK Metcalf. Well, yeah, it does come down to DK and really it's a matter of what he's asking for, right? How much money does DK Metcalf want? Cause it's hard to see the contract extensions for Devonte Adams and for Tyreek Hill and not envision DK Metcalf being somewhere in that 22, $23 million a year range, because that's what top flight receivers are going for. And from a physical tool standpoint, there's really not much that he can't do at the receiver position. But we did have our resident wide receiver extraordinaire and NFL analyst Keyshawn Johnson weigh in on DK Metcalf skills on the morning show on KJM. Take a listen. I don't think the Seahawks value DK Metcalf nearly the way the fantasy football folk mm. value him. <laughs> I think it's a it, DK Metcalf is a fine football player. There's no question about it. But I don't think of him as a uh, missing piece, so to speak, to a team going to the Super Bowl. And I think Seattle looks at it that way, and they say, oh, well, yes, he gets a lot of big numbers, but those numbers come in a handful of games because he could disappear on you in a heartbeat. Wow, Hmm. the DK Metcalf slander. I I don't know if I all the way agree with Key Amber. Where, Where are you at with that? I I don't know what to make of that. Listen, Keyshawn Johnson knows a whole lot more than I do about who can play well, receiver well in the NFL. But my eye test has been lying to me because I have not seen that man disappear much. What is he talking about? I don't don't know, Amber. That's that's strong. I mean, you're talking about a guy that's a pro bowler. I think he was second team all pro in 2020. I mean, he's an outstanding football player and double-digit touchdown grabs in the last two seasons, it seems like he's ascending. And here's the thing. DK Metcalf, a second-round pick. We're not talking about a first-round pick. There is no fifth-year option on him. So the decision on his contract really needs to be made this offseason because you don't want to be in a position if you're Seattle where you have to franchise him. Sure, you could franchise him and trade him next year, but it seems like if you're in a rebuild mode with a deep receiver draft, why not acquire more assets in that vein and give yourself the ammunition to try to find your replacement while also addressing some other needs on your roster. To me, a team that's bereft of talent, that's the direction that they should be going because as we both have have, prognosticated and and looked at with this team, they're not going to be competing for a championship in 2022. It just ain't going to happen. So the next best thing you can do is get the draft picks and try to replenish the coffers when it comes to your talent base. Coming up next, the Golden State Warriors prepare for a playoff push. Draymond joins the show.